Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone. Welcome to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. It's Tuesday, April 11th. I'm Chris Lenton. Today, we're very lucky to have Sergio Chapa as our guest. Uh, Sergio was with the Houston Chronicle and Bloomberg, and now he is a LNG expert at uh, Potent. Welcome, Sergio. Hey, thank, thank you. Happy to be here. So, LNG, it's an absolutely fascinating time to, to be in the LNG world. You know, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year, LNG essentially kept the lights on in Europe through the course of last year and through and through this year. There is also a Mexico element to the whole LNG story. Mexico is developing, well, potentially could develop around six or seven BCF a day of LNG export projects. And so I really want to start there. What What are you seeing in terms of momentum with the the LNG export projects in Mexico, Sergio? Well, yes, exactly. You know, given the situation in Europe and the the demand over there, a lot of uh, U.S. cargoes found themselves heading to the continent. And um, that left Asian buyers in a situation where they decided that they needed to to lock in long-term contracts. The first wave of contracts that we saw after Russia's invasion of Ukraine were from Asian buyers. You know, they wanted that energy security, that supply security. And one of the places that a lot of buyers started looking at was, was, was Mexico. And the whole sales pitch there is that you're just re-exporting U.S. natural gas. There are you know, are, are several cross-border pipelines that, that send natural gas from, from the Permian Basin, the Oaxaca hub, to various destinations in Mexico. Yeah. And what you're seeing there is a playoff that you can export from the west coast of Mexico to Asia, avoiding the Panama Canal, which, which is a bottleneck in many cases for, for, for the LNG industry. The idea was, was, was to do that. And then, given the situation in Europe, we saw a number of projects, also proposed projects, pop up along Mexico's Gulf Coast and East Coast. And, and, and those are, 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 are Europe-facing uh, projects now. Mm. You have players like New Fortress Energy involved in that, and also Mexico's state-owned enterprises like, like CFE and Pemex getting involved you know, in, in those plays. Yeah, let's talk briefly. I wanted to talk about those West Coast projects, but let's talk briefly about the new Fortress projects. These are fast LNG projects that would, you know, basically be liquefaction plants on converted jackup rigs, you know, and offshore platforms. The first LNG from from the new Fortress project at Altamira is expected this summer. What have you heard about those projects? And, you know, what do you think about fast LNG? Is, could this sort of revolutionize the business? 
Yeah, a lot of people are, are looking at, at, at these projects to see if it can cut, you know, time and cost to, to create new production. Those jackup rigs that you, that you referenced, they're being worked on in Ingleside, Texas, you know, just down the coast a little bit from Corpus Christi LNG, Chenier Energy's export project. And they're being worked on at the Kewitt Yard and getting ready. The send-off for the first ship is going to be in May, we're told, and it's going to set sail for Altamira, Tamaulipas. And that's near Tampico, you know, along the coast. And it's also near the location of a subsea pipeline, a natural gas pipeline that goes from the Agua Dulce hub in South Texas down to Altamira and then to Tuxpan in Veracruz. So they would basically just be tapping into that offshore pipeline, bringing gas in from Texas to ship it out exactly. to Europe. Exactly. There's already service ships there in Altamira waiting to be, to begin this work, which is expected to begin in June and July. Once the uh, production ship gets there, the idea is that it would take uh, perhaps like 90 days and then, you know, they could, they could begin testing and gas flows and everything. So the world is, is definitely waiting and watching the outcome of that project. And in, t- in terms of send out is what is it, you know, 25% of a you know, sort of a bigger traditional LNG project, or how, how much gas can these faster LNG projects send out? So the each one of these ships was targeted to do about 1.4 MTPA. So let's say maybe uh, 14 cargoes. Uh, well, no, it's a little more than that, isn't it? It's uh, one, MTPA is, one MTPA is about 13 cargoes a year. So this would do about, I'm just trying to do the math in my head real fast. So it would be something like on the scale of like, 16, 17, maybe 18 cargos a year. Okay. And at today's prices and today's supply crunch, that those are those would be much welcome, much needed cargos in the, in the global market. Sure, sure. Although, yeah, pricing is something we might get into down the down the line. I mean, you met you mentioned Permian feeding a lot of these West Coast projects. Prices are negative there again, and then you know you don't have any new. LNG projects in the Gulf Coast coming online online this year, so it's sort of sort hard to see pricing improve. But I guess that that that's a good thing for an LNG exporter, right? That differential between U.S. pricing and and pricing abroad. Well, well, definitely. But you know, a, a lot of these companies they they do the tolling model, so you know they charge the per MMBTU a flat fee on liquefaction. You know, regardless of what the market price for the gas is. It would be good for for some producers, and it would be good for some some buyers. But a lot of these projects are are, are tolling model operators. So. Okay, so let's go, let's let's go back to the West Coast. You know, beyond Energia Costa Azul, which is going to come online, I believe next year or the, or the year after. Which projects do you see advancing, and you know, wh- why is it taking a, a bit longer for some of these projects to get financing? Right. Yeah. No. Construction continues at, at Energia Costa Azul in 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 near Ensenada in in Baja California, just south of San Diego, and then that's progressing just fine. the The one that we're really watching though is Mexico Pacific Limited in Puerto Libertad, Sonora, uh-huh. and they've had a experience due to those Asian buyers I mentioned. They've experienced a, a surge in commercial activity and 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 steady paces. They've already. Uh, started selling from their third train. What they're doing is they're selling contracts at two MTPA each, and that's for their foundation customers. And they'll consider 
selling smaller volumes late at a later time or perhaps at another phase. But but you know the way it is right now, it, it seems to have been to market it and made tremendous advancements. It's, a, it's been an interesting project to watch because the way they're, they're, the pricing structure is is it's flexible. You can either buy from the in some cases it depends on the contract, but but we've seen them sell contracts where a customer would 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 buy gas from either the Waha hub or the Henry hub, mm-hmm. and then they add a liquefaction fee and then they add a pipeline fee across that because it does cost a little bit extra to get that gas across the border. We, we know Mexico has the capacity, the pipeline capacity, it's you know something on the scale of like 13, 14 BCF a day capacity, but but Mexico currently only imports about roughly six BCF a day. So that means that there's an extra six to seven BCF per day capacity that that you could direct some of that to LNG, to re-exporting LNG. Sure. I mean, that's that's cross-border capacity. I think you might find some congestion considering the fact that all these projects are, you know, in one very specific area in the, in the West Coast. You mentioned you were traveling to Sonora. It would be really interesting to hear how some of those projects are advancing on the ground. Oh, definitely. And and there's the another proposed pipeline, the Saguaro pipeline from the Oaxaca hub to um, the border with Mexico. Uh, Mexico Pacific Limited has expressed interest in becoming a potential customer for that project. So definitely one to watch as it, as it progresses through the regulatory agencies and the permitting process. Yeah. There are some other ones, I think, in Sonora. Amigo LNG is also in Sonora, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, correct. And then further down the coast, you have Sempra's second project in Topolobombo, <laughs> Sinaloa. So Mexico's West Coast could, could, could be an export hub. I remember when I, was at, when I was at Bloomberg, we did a story saying that how Mexico could emerge as the fourth, and this would be like an overnight leapfrog, but could just emerge if all these projects in Mex- proposed projects in Mexico signed contracts and reached FID and, and got permits and, and everything, Mexico could be literally overnight the fourth largest LNG exporter in the world. Wow. You know, asterisk, they're re-exporting U.S. natural gas. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Mexico could do that if everything happens, if all these projects happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's that's the tricky issue, right? You know, how how does this work with the, there's a lot of stress with the UMCA, the, the trade treaty, you know, AMLO is just, just last week bought up the assets of Iberdrola and he called it a new nationalization. I mean, there's still a lot of sort of tension on the political level. How, how do you see that sort of affecting these LNG export projects? Well, so far the Mexican president has, has expressed support, but, but there's a, there's a pattern that you see to it. It's when these LNG projects become a customer of a state-run enterprise, like they buy their gas from CFE or from Pemex, or, or they partner with the state in some way. Mexico Pacific Limited, the president, AMLO, he, he literally said that, that it has all the permits. All they need is for investors you know, para animarse, to, to get animated, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see that a lot, especially on the New Fortress Energy projects. New Fortress Energy has, a, has an import terminal in La Paz, uh, Baja California Sur, but they sold the power plant to the state, to CFE, and they kept their import terminal operations there 
at the same time, they became a CFE customer in Altamira buying the unused capacity, again, an underutilized pipeline. They bought the capacity on that pipeline so they could begin exports along the Gulf Coast. And then you see New Fortress Energy again partnering this time with Pemex on the Lakash field, you know, off the coast of Veracruz. Yeah. You know, another proposed floating LNG production project where, where it's a gas field, uh, offshore gas field, that they would use the gas to make LNG. And then they would send some to, to southern Mexico, to the, to the southern states via subsea pipeline. All, all pretty interesting, but, that, but there's a pattern there if you look at it, if you think about it. I mean, there's a pattern that, that to be successful in Mexico, you need to partner with or be a customer of the state somehow. And, and we've seen that all across, across the board on these LNG projects. Yeah. And, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious to see, you know, these projects that get going and actually reach the operational stage. Another big issue right now is, is financing. We heard Rio Grande, for example, the LNG project is having issues with, with, with banks. Do you see, you know, financing becoming, becoming more and more difficult and added, added on to that sort of the, the cost pressures and inflation? Do you think that this, that sort of would hold back some of these projects? Well, so far it seems like it hasn't it hasn't happened. Like it seems like banks are willing to to invest in LNG because I mean, we already had two final investment decisions on two US export projects this year. You saw the one for for Plaquemines, Plaquemines LNG in Louisiana with Venture Global. You had the Semper Energy, you know, FID at Port Arthur LNG. And they're a little bit different each in that Plaquemines was was debt but what you see with Port Arthur is that it's heavily equity backed. So I think I, I think I think you can still get a project done. But now this 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 equity partner element has become much much more important in underwriting the costs and then lowering the amount that you need to borrow in debt from banks. We're also seeing something kind of like a growing number of banks in these deals. Like I think Plaquemines LNG was something on the scale of like seven point eight billion, but required. 23 separate banks. So each of them puts up a smaller amount of money or a tranche and, and, and you can get things done. I, I think that the banks, given the, the weakness of the bond market, they look at LNG perhaps as a, as a better place to, to park their money and receive a better return. Those two LNG projects I mentioned, they, 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 they got financing despite the market being the way it is. I mean, there was, there was these you know, Silicon Valley and then Deutsche Bank. I mean, not Deutsche Bank, excuse me, Credit Suisse. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was in the midst of all of that mayhem. Right. <laughs> right. They were able to achieve this financing before. And, and these are, you know, these projects, they have financial advisors, they have relationships with banks and they've been working with them and they, they do what it takes. And I, I think, I think we'll see, I think we'll be seeing more and more, more FIDs. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if this year one of them is in Mexico. That's interesting. Well, let me let me put you on the spot. What do you see LNG send-out capacity in the United States, in the Gulf Coast, being in 2020? And I'm going to ask you the same question for Mexico. So right now it's about 13, 14 BCF a day. Where do you see it getting to, you know, by Wait, 2030? You said in 2020 or? 2030, 2030, sorry, 2030. 2030. Okay. Ooh, that one's, let me do the math here. Yeah, so it's about 13, what is it? 13.8 BCF or 13.9 BCF today. And then you add Golden Pass in 2025 and also Plaquemines. 
I think what I've heard Kinder Morgan and what other people have said and, and what, what, what the figures that we're looking at based on FIDs, I think, I think you could get over 20 BCF per day in exports in, from the U.S. And that's just, that's just me like doing the figures real quick on the spot. And the production is around hovering around 100 BCF per day in, in, the, in the lower 48 here in the United States. These exports and these pipeline projects that support them could push that production figure higher. Sure, sure. And and Mexico? Well, uh, they definitely have that capacity to grow. Like you mentioned earlier, I mean the the pipeline underutilized pipelines. These these offshore projects. I don't know. You could you could easily see a, a scenario where Mexico grows to like six or seven BCF. Wow, easily, yeah. That would double uh, U.S. exports right now to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, but that's if everything goes in, everything goes according to plan. Sure. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah, super interesting. The other other thing that's really, really interesting is, you know, maintenance and issues of these LNG plants. Things don't always go so smoothly. You were sort of a trailblazer. You actually went to Freeport and you took pictures and you put, put them online. You know, what's your take on the whole Freeport saga and maintenance and how that impacts, uh, LNG send out. Right. I mean, it's not just, you know, unplanned maintenance. It's also sea fog. It's also hurricanes. A lot can happen. Freezes. A lot can happen in a year for an LNG plant and take capacity offline as, as we've seen. And it can and does happen. And free, free ports back up completely at its two BCF a day capacity. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been flirting with it. I let me let me take a look here at Reuters. I could tell you. Yeah, I heard that it that it should be uh, starting pretty soon, but I could tell you better by looking at the figures. That's all right. We'll take your word for it, Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, super super interesting time. I guess the final question is the energy transition. Where does LNG play into the energy transition, and what are some of these companies doing to? certify their gas or to sort of make their operations greener? I mean, that's what's really interesting, isn't it? And that's what's playing out in, in Europe, the debate that's playing out in Europe and across the globe. Um, everybody's got their their climate goals and their 2050 goals, but they make some some countries, some utilities, some, some buyers reluctant to sign those 20-year long-term deals. And, we, you know, it's especially playing out in, in places like Europe where, you know, utilities and customers are reluctant to sign based on their climate commitments. Some of them already have, have sworn off or pledged to, to cut fossil fuels by as early as 2035. And so obviously they can't sign a 20 year deal that, you know, think about it. Like you sign a deal now, the production won't begin for another four years you know, for construction and everything. And then, then you add 20, 10 years on top of that, and you're already past 2035. What we anticipate happening is that the aggregators and the, the majors will be the ones signing the contracts, these, these large multinational buyers. And, you know, what they do with the 20-year contract, they'll sell it 10 years to a, to a European customer. And then they'll just have to find a buyer for the remaining 10 years. Uh, but we think that those, those first 10 years, that's going to be some expensive LNG because you have the risk for the second half. You need to cover the risk on the second half of the contract. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting piece of the puzzle to take into consideration for sure. Sergio, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much. 
I really appreciate uh, your time and your insight, and I hope to have you again on the podcast soon. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yes, yes. I would love that. I'd, I'd love to come back. I'll be doing a uh, webinar in May on, on LNG in Latin America. That's imports, exports, looking at the whole picture. Fantastic. I will certainly be tuning into that. Good deal. <laughs> All right. Take care, Sergio. I hope to also see you again in person soon. Likewise. Likewise. All right. Bye-bye. Understanding the energy, regulatory, and political landscape is imperative to achieving success in the Mexican natural gas market. A daily information service that is trusted by active market participants on both sides of the border, NGI's Mexico Gas Price Index provides on-the-ground and independent news and insight, as well as market-informed natural gas pricing and flow data. Visit natgasintel.com backslash Mexico dash GPI to find out more about NGI's Mexico services and how they can better inform your strategy today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.